If you're um, just joining with us this morning, you may or may not have tracked with some teaching I've been doing over the last couple of months, but I'm just going to keep the accelerator on that. We've been working through the book of Ephesians by, uh, by Paul, and the, the book of Ephesians, just to give you a little recap here, is um, written by Paul. He's in prison while he's writing this. He's, he's in prison because of his um, relationship with Jesus, and so he's writing to one of the churches uh, that he helped to establish in, in Ephesus. And um, he, he, he had a couple of missionary journeys through Ephesus. And at one point, he spent three years there just investing himself and pouring his life out for the early Christians that were there. And while all this was happening, if you want to get that, the, the kind of the, the movie, movie version of it, if, you, if he's writing to a group of people and you, Acts, go back to the book of Acts. Acts 17, 18, 19. That's where you get the movie or the real-time action of who Paul was writing to. And so when Paul was visiting the, the Christians in Ephesus, there was, it was, a, it was a, a, a great city of the Roman Empire. It was a place of great economic and political and spiritual um, influence. Uh, the, the, the primary kind of spiritual um, influence in, in Ephesus was... Um, was, uh, oh, help me, John, Art- Artemis, thank you, Artemis, and um, Artemis was like a, like a female god s and uh, had a temple, and, ev- and like the whole economy of the, of the well-being of the town and the city was based on the appeasement a lot of the time of this um, spiritual goddess, and so there was blacksmiths that made little idols and they sold them on the side. And so, pe- and, but while, while all that's going on, Paul rocks into town. He starts to say, hey, the kingdom of God is at hand. There's good news. Jesus Christ, the son of God, he's lived. He's healed the sick. He's actually been crucified. He's now been resurrected from the dead. And now he's, he's alive and he's ruling and reigning. And we've got all these, these witnesses that can articulate that. And so, and while he starts doing that, what happens is the whole town gets like completely stirred up in the turmoil of this because all of a sudden people are coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, what it meant was people were like taking, they were turning away from Artemis and they were turning their lives over to Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, people were stopping buying all of the you know, the trinkets, the idols, and paying all this money to the temple and the goddess to be able to, you know, make sure their life was appeased and they were okay. And now they were turning their lives over to Jesus. And so everyone was really PO'd at the early Christians, particularly Paul, because he was upsetting the political and spiritual environment with this new message and life of Jesus Christ is Lord. And as he's doing that, we've He's got some great stories in there of amazing miracles taking place and um, extraordinary miracles taking place and people being healed and people being delivered of demons and people's lives being completely like once I lived like this and now I live like this. Complete transformation of lives and they they were coming alive to God. But then as a result, there was riots in the streets because Jesus was being proclaimed as, as the new Lord. Now... That's also it was something that the Romans didn't particularly like because when, Jesus, when, when, the, when Paul was saying Jesus is Lord, he was actually taking a word that was associated with Caesar. 
So he's because Caesar was Lord. And now all of a sudden Paul's saying, no, no, Caesar's not the king. Jesus is the king. Jesus is the Lord. And so what that this, you know, this message of Jesus was usurping or it was breaking through the false power structures that had been in place, even with Caesar and Rome. So there's this great upheaval taking place as the good news of Jesus is coming forward. You know, um, spiritualists were bringing all their their trinkets and their potions and their scripts of how to be you know healthy and all of that sort of stuff and they were burning them all and setting them on fire and and saying no we don't want to trust in those powers anymore we want Jesus because Jesus is Lord he's risen from the dead he's ruling and reigning he's alive right now so all of this is going on as Paul's writing this great backstory or writing this letter to the Ephesians he's remembering this time that he was with them now, if there's one thing that I've discovered in my 27 years of following Jesus is, is, is this. He continues to invite me personally into transformation and change. He's relentless about it. He is continually given to it. And he keeps going after me and saying, hey, Kirk, I want to change that about you so it looks more like me. And, and then, uh, you know, then my, my response to that is, well, either... Yes, Lord, or when I say, no, Lord, I'm actually saying, I don't trust you to be a good God to me. (laughs) And so he wants to rewrite me all the time with his love and bring me into a fullness of life. And when I reflect back on the reality of of my early years of following Jesus, and please understand, I'm still a work in progress, um, but I'm a pretty awesome work in progress, as are you who love Jesus. You are an awesome work in progress, just as I am. Um, but when I reflect back on those early early years, and I first welcomed that invitation of God's love that just pursued me and pursued me and broke into my life, there was a few dynamic things that changed for me, or that came onto the table in my relationship and conversation with Jesus. The first one was my rage and my anger. These were the first ones that came onto the table, was my rage with everybody and my anger at the world. That was the first thing that this love from Jesus said, right, oh, mate, I want to heal that in you. I want to set you free from that rage and anger because it's holding you captive. And, it was, and that rage and anger was coming from a place of deep insecurity in my life. And I found myself, after meeting Jesus, all of a sudden, no longer with that same drive and that same desire to want to hurt, hit, or abuse people. Hurt, hit, or abuse. Jesus took the rage and the anger, and he went after it with love so that my life could be transformed and come into wholeness of life and wholeness of living. But my rage and my anger were two things straight away. Secondly, the other thing that I noticed, all of a sudden, my really, you know, propensity to want to just swear all the time, just to use expletives to try and describe how I was feeling, rather than actually find the right words um, to explain how I was feeling. All of a sudden, as I was using those words, they didn't seem to sit right in my mouth anymore it was like Jesus was was changing my speech life the way I would describe how I'm feeling about things or or people's behaviors around me he he went he he started to help give me a new vocabulary 
on how to speak and how to, how to share how I was feeling. See, this love from Jesus, this grace from God just grabbed a hold of me. And as a result of that, my speech all of a sudden was being transformed by Jesus. The next thing I found taking place was I found this driving hunger that I had in my flesh and the desires and the pursuits of my flesh, all of a sudden, the things that I was given to and addicted to with my flesh, all of a sudden, the hunger and the appetite shifted from those things. The hunger and the appetite was still there, but it now was craving this love from Jesus. The hunger and the, and the appetite wasn't wrong. It was just misdirected. That's why Jesus uses words like, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness for the kingdom of God is for them. You know, God's into hunger and, 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 and thirst. But my flesh was trying to author how that should be satisfied. And so I would use people. I would use substance. I would use relationships to make my flesh feel empowered and better. But obviously, I never did. That's the, that was the lie of what my flesh was driving at. But when Jesus grabbed a hold of it, a hold of my flesh, all of a sudden, my life wasn't given to that stuff. I was actually now hungry for more of Jesus and that he would author my flesh and he would satisfy the needs of my flesh. Um, I'm probably not the only one in this room that's got, you know, fleshy appetites. I think we all do. That's why, you know, that what's, that's what sort of helps us all understand we're all human beings. We actually have fleshy appetites. But Jesus wants to get a hold of that and bring new life to our flesh. See, the gospel of the good news of the kingdom of God is not, well, in part is give your life to Christ, thank him for the work that he's done on the cross over the grave and resurrected, and you give thanks for that so that you can have an eternal well-being with God. But that's in part the story of the gospel. The gospel is also about the fact that Jesus, his physical body was resurrected from death because God's interested in resurrecting the flesh now and into the age to come. God wants your body, not just your soul. God wants all of us, not just part of us. That's why Jesus, all of Jesus died and was resurrected. God's after our flesh so that we don't have to walk this life right now, you know, all like tripped up and bound up. He's come to give us freedom, freedom. Jesus, Jesus' mission statement, Luke 4, I have come to set, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, to set people free, to set people free, not to be free to have to just like hold on until you get to heaven, but free to walk about in the created work of God in the earth right now and into the age to come, even as the heavens are breaking in upon us right now. We're, we're living it. God wants our flesh to come alive to him. And fourthly, I found myself thinking differently about myself. I found myself thinking differently here, up here, about other people. All of a sudden, people went from being consumables to actually, you're just like me. <laughs> And you need the love of God as much as I do. All of a sudden, they went from being expendable things to make my life better to you're just like me. 
you're just like me. I started to think about people differently. The power and the love of Jesus intersecting with hearts and lives brings transformation and change. That's one of the things we say here at the Vineyard is that God loves loves us just as we are. And I think Neil mentioned it this morning during worship, but he loves us so much because he, he won't leave us as we are. He wants to bring us into greater and greater measures of life and freedom in God. The big mission and the big vision of God is to bring people alive, alive to who they really are in him through a powerful dynamic relationship with Jesus, God's son. Now, this is perhaps one of the greatest joys of living the Jesus life, to seeing people come alive, coming free from, you know, the name the chain, coming free from the things that bind and hold, but being set free to engage with God in the fullness of life and vision that he has for us. In my pursuit of Jesus for the last 27 years and in his massively loving pursuit of me and others, coming alive in him with increasing and greater and greater reality and power and passion is the name of the story and it's one called transformation. Jesus changes things. Jesus changes people. And I genuinely believe that right now in our context, in our Australian context, the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God is that the person of Jesus is really sincerely willing and is currently breaking in all over our nation into hearts and lives to bring about change so that people can truly live a full human life under the lordship of a good and creative God who has their interests at heart and has their concerns on his, on his heart, so much so that he would send his own son to show us the way of living a fully human life. And we could come out from underneath this subhuman lie that we've lived under or since the day we were born. And we could come out from underneath that and come into new life. I mean, that's good news for our country. That's good news for me. That's good news for you. And that's good news for our community here at Pine Rivers. Now, if you've been with us, Neil, can you just flick to the next slide for me, mate? Sorry, folks, my computer is misbehaving. And the next one? Whose life and vision are we serving? This is the question that we've been poking at the last few months together. And we've used Paul to help us understand that. Next one, thanks, mate. Now, Paul, remember, he's writing to the Ephesians. That's where they are, modern-day Turkey. That's kind of geographically, just to give you a bit of a snapshot on where this is going on. Okay, next one. Oh, yeah, that was great work with the arrow, mate. Um, Now, just to give you a quick recap, we've looked at these three key things. The big mission and vision of God, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 1.10. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Jesus Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth under one head, even Jesus. In other words, this is the big vision and mission of God. This is what God's doing. He's bringing everything back underneath his lordship and in the person of Jesus. He's he's bringing everything that's broken and disjointed back into its rightful created place through the life, death, resurrection and the ascension and the lordship of Jesus today. Jesus brings all things together. That's the big mission and vision of God. He's bringing it all back together. Next one, Ephesians 2.10. Thanks, Neil. 
What's our place in all of that big story and big work of God? Well, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, uh, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, that whole idea of um, God's, we are God's workmanship, Paul there was literally saying we are God's piece of creative, poetic painting for the sake of this world so that when people look at us, they see the creative life of God in us. And so what's our role in the big mission and vision of God? It's to actually come alive in God. That is your first and foremost priority (laughs) as a participant in the big mission and vision of God is come alive in him and just be the piece of artwork that God's made you and I to be. Uh, Next one we looked at was, well, what's the church got to do with all of that? Well, here it is here, Ephesians 3.10. His intent was now that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, that's the many splendid, colourful wisdom of God in all its brightness, should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purposes which he accomplished in Jesus. In other words, through the way that the people of Jesus celebrate the poetic creative work of God through each other and we honour that and we give room for that and expression for that. And we, we're participating in God bringing all things together and what that does is it pokes at the spiritual atmosphere in which we live. It starts to stir things up, the spiritual rulers and authorities and we start to see like Paul experienced in Ephesians, turmoil, we see people hit the streets and rant and rave and all of that sort of stuff because God is turning things back into his good and perfect plan. And he's doing that through the church, through the church. Not that the church is running around trying to necessarily poke and prod, but just by the mere fact that we're coming alive in Jesus, that pokes and prods into the spiritual realm and those forces have impact in the earth. Now, then the last thing we looked at, and I haven't got a slide for this, was the power of prayer in Ephesians 4. Um, and where Paul talks about kneeling before the Father. Now, let's grab your Bible, Ephesians 4.17. Maybe it's on the screen, I think. There we go, Ephesians 4.17. We're going to quickly pick up here. So I tell you this, and, ins- and insist on it in the Lord. So, Okay, so Paul's painted the big picture, first three and a bit, four bit chapters. He's painted the big work of God, and now he's starting to drill down on, well, what does that really mean for you and for me? What does that really mean if God's on about this big work? I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Wow, the shift in Paul's language here is becoming very pointed, isn't it? It's like a little more uncomfortable to sort of engage with. It's like, you're talking to me, man? That's a little, that's a little you know... Focused? Yeah, yeah. Paul's saying there's focus about this transforming work of God. Um, he says that, however, is not the... Oh, sorry. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they're full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him accordance with the truth that's in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off... Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your mind, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Um, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of the one body. In your anger, do not sin. 
don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Now listen, he's writing to the Christian community. Remember that. So he's, he's, he's addressing issues that Christian people are trying to figure out, what do I do with all of this stuff? Now that Jesus is grabbing a hold of my life and changing me, because these things are coming onto the table all of a sudden. He's not speaking to the, the pagan world. He's speaking to the people of Jesus. Um, he says, got to put off all this sort of stuff. Don't let the sun go down while you're angry. Don't give the devil a foothold. If ever there's a great piece of advice, just highlight that one. Highlight that one. That's a really good tip for relationship. Don't go to bed while you're angry with someone. Because there is a spiritual darkness that is very active in that space. So Paul's saying, hey, you, re- you want to know why you're getting some of that harassment in the middle of the night? Check your heart and make sure it's right with God and with each other. Because there's stuff just humming around the edges, just waiting for you to be cranky and stinky or bitter towards someone that will use it as permission to hound and harass your life. Anyone who's been stealing must no longer steal. There's thieves in the church. Can you get that? There's thieves in the church. It's like, stop flogging stuff. Stop stealing. It's like the church needs to be taught this stuff because we're just people. We're just people coming underneath the lordship of an amazing, good, creative God. And prior to him, we just nick stuff because we want it. (laughs) It's like no one will notice if that's not missing. I'll just help myself. I'll just help myself. Thank you very much. Now, I started nicking stuff when I was a kid. I seriously did. People would come and stay at our house and I'd rummage through their bags and I'd pinch stuff. I did. This, I think Paul wrote this for me. Stop nicking stuff. Stop stealing stuff. Oh. It was lollies. They had lollies in their bag, all right? I was, it was the lollies. It wasn't the money. It was the lollies. Um, anyway, uh, he says, stop stealing. You've got to go and get a job. He's saying, go and work. Do something useful with your hands. These things. When Jesus gets a hold of your life, he wants to, he wants to take these things from being things that want to take and take to becoming life for others. Look at the hands of Jesus. What did he do with his hands? He healed the sick. He took the bits of bread that his team had and he multiplied them before the Father and he said, Father, feed the masses, please. And it multiplied miraculously. And then ultimately, he let let his hands go up there, just there. And he let his hands be pierced and broken for us all. He, but in the result of that, through his resurrection, he's now offering life, true life and living. Let your hands be given for the sake of life. That they might, and then he says that you might have something to share with those in need. If there's something here that Paul's getting at, he's saying, hey, the Jesus people, the kingdom people, the church people, these ones that are in the earth now that are being transformed by this love 
of God, this life of God in Jesus, one of the things that's very distinctive about them among from all the other people of the community is that these people, they don't nick stuff from others and they actually get a job. They want to actually be a participant in giving life to others so that they can earn resources to be able to give away more. This is what the Jesus people are like. This is what we're like. This is who Jesus is bringing us alive to becoming and living in that place. Paul's very thorough, isn't he? <laughs> he gets on, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful for building others up and according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And don't grieve the spirit with whom you've been sealed for that amazing day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. What a church, hey? <laughs> the church of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander and malice. That's the Ephesians church. But Jesus is grabbing a hold of these people that carry on like this and he's completely revolutionising their life with love and the power to bring others alive. Heck, that's good. Be kind, compassionate to one another. Forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. Hey, can you drop up the next slide for me, Neil? This is what the Gentiles were like. And Paul's saying, don't be like that. Don't be like that in the futility of your own wisdom and thinking. Don't, don't be like that. You don't, need, you don't need the GPS to tell you on a train line where you go, how to get there. <laughs> you get on and you follow the line. You don't need the GPS. But in the futility of this dude's thinking, he still thinks, oh, no, no, we need the GPS. It's, it's futile. It's unnecessary. It's... it's, it's it's silly thinking. And Paul's saying, don't be like that. Let, let God do a work in you so you're no longer bound by your own futility of thinking like the Gentiles are. Now, if you're a Gentile and you'd come into the church in Ephesus, you'd be, at that point you'd be going, oh, yeah, I know, I know Ian over there and he's pretty, <laughs> he's pretty futile and he's thinking. Because Paul's addressing the Gentiles, not the Jews, in fact, in the, but they were in the same church together. But he was going after these guys. He's saying, hey, don't be like these people that have got like this pagan concept where there is like God has no influence and no wisdom and you, you arrogate your own wisdom and thought to a place where, no, no, I know better. I know better. I know what's best for my flesh. I know what's best for this situation. I don't, I don't need God. I'm in control. Don't be bound up in that futility of thinking. Be set free from that. That's what Paul's talking about to the Ephesians. Let me quickly say these few things. Next slide. Thanks, Neil. Before we talk about this next few little bits, you've got to remember that Paul's teaching here and he's talking about how in the life, death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, there is now a new power in the earth and in the heavens of God's goodness and lordship. And the points we're about to touch on right now cannot change without the reality of Jesus. Otherwise, we're just, again, setting ourselves up for the futility 
of our own effort and wisdom. Other than, and, and, and God's calling us out of that. A few quick things. Verses 17 and 19, Paul hacks, Paul <laughs> hacks into, he addresses these areas. He addresses these areas. Stop lying or being convenient with the truth. Don't be convenient with the truth. Don't mess, don't mess with it in such a way that it just benefits you. Let the truth be the truth. And, and with your speech, be truthful with your speech. Um, be a person of self-control. Not, uh, not given over, not having lost all sensitivity. See, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, because Paul talks about the Spirit has come upon us in power, we've been sealed with that Spirit. One of the fruits of his presence is self-control, is to be able to, now that you're a Jesus person, and you find yourself in a similar situation that, you've, that you were once in pre-Jesus. Now the Spirit is with you. And with the help of the Spirit, you can actually say, No, I, I, choose, I choose life. I choose the Jesus way. I, you know, with money, with things that tempt, with relationships of convenience, with all our, even our own ideologies. It's like, no, 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 no. I'm not going to lift that up anymore. I'm not, the futility of that has gotten me to where I am, and that's why I need Jesus. I'm now going to allow Jesus to be in control. No longer thieves, but we become generous providers. We put off the old and we put on the new. Paul there is using the language of baptism. Paul there is saying, hey, if you've given your life to Jesus, he now, the very the very fabric, life, blood, DNA of Jesus Christ is flowing through you. And the way that you've told the world that is that you've been baptised. You've gone into the waters of baptism and you've said, from here on, I live not for myself. I choose to come alive into the resurrected life of Jesus. And we live from that place and space now. We do that on a daily basis of, of saying, no, I choose life, not myself. I choose Jesus. Bitterness, hatred, rage, anger, the boiling of emotions, all of these things are now conversation points. Brawling and slander. Surely you good Christian people don't brawl and slander. Well, that's Paul's writing to the church. We have these issues in our life that Jesus wants to revolutionise by his love so that we can come alive for the sake of the world. The power of transformation, to put off the old and put on the new. There's a wonderful story in John chapter 3, if you get the time to have a look at it during the week, where, where Nicodemus comes and meets with Jesus in the night time. And Nicodemus is one of the teachers of the day. And, and um, as he comes to him, um, he, he asks this question, how, how can I inherit life eternal? Not how can I go to heaven. He's asking how can I live the life that is eternal now? That's what he's asking. And Jesus says to him, well, you, you need to be born again. You, you, you need to start again with the grace of God, with the help of the Spirit. You need to be immersed into 
You need to leave that old life and be immersed into the life of Jesus and the power of the Spirit. It's a wonderful story. Please go and have a read of that. You must be born again. And what he's saying is, he, he also says, to say that you must be born again, he's actually saying you must be born from above. You must be born from the ruling and reigning of the goodness of God, even as his new kingdom is coming into the earth through Jesus Christ. Be, live from that place. You need to be born to be able, with the help of God, to understand that's who you are and your identity in him. Literally, Jesus continues to pour out his spirit that we can walk this new way of living. He is an encouraging and wonderful king. He's also a king that wants to go after our speech, emotional and intellectual health. You know, not long after I came to Christ, I worked with a pretty, you know, colourful bunch of blokes and we would go on the road together and we would sell stuff all around Australia. And so we would end up staying in these hotels at different places all around Australia and, 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 and so they, there would be these big trade shows. And so, um, you know, we're like, I don't know, like the farming trade show and all the guys would bring their tractors in and salespeople trying to sell tractors or whatever. And we would sell stuff on the side. We would use that as an opportunity to, because there was plenty of people there to sell stuff. And yet we would do this, um, I was doing this with this really rogue bunch of fellas who were pretty colourful and, and I'd met Jesus and they hadn't. And so the way they talked about the people that walked past the booth, I was like, oh, I don't. I don't want to think like that anymore. Like if a woman walked past, they felt this need and this freedom to be able to tell what they thought of her. And I'm just like, no, no. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I've been born again. I'm going to think from above. I'm not going to think from down there. I've been set free from this. And I had to learn how to engage with people in a way that modelled something different to these guys. And then there was after work, you know, they were all on the road, we were away from our wives, and it's all like, all right, let's hit the bars, let's hit the pubs. And I'm just like, I just, no, I'm going to my room and just I'm going to sing songs to God and read the Bible and stuff. Now, you know, I was having to learn how to come alive to God. And it is process, it is journey. But in, the, in all of that, I found my life, my love for people, my view of people was being transformed. The way I spoke about people was changing. And I no longer felt like I needed to punch everyone that walked past that I didn't like. That was a work of the Spirit. That is a work of the Holy Spirit. Now, I mean, we kind of laugh about that and I kind of you know, downplay it a bit. But Paul, it's in the Scriptures for a reason. Because people want to make brawls. They do want to go after this stuff and operate from it. Bitterness, bitter roots, passionate, boiling over of emotions and heats and inflammation and indignation like that we hold towards people and have towards people. Malice, ill will of another, a desire to hurt others, injure others, verbally, emotionally, economically. However, all of this changes because Jesus changes us. And Jesus invites us into the next slide, thanks, which is kindness, compassion, and forgiving. This, this is where we live from now because the kindness of God looked at us 
in all our brawling anger and bitterness. And he said, I love you. And he sent Jesus. And in that I love you, all of a sudden, his kindness has touched us. And we've come alive to our true humanity. Our true humanity in God. No longer living these subhuman lives. We're actually now becoming alive. And real people are kind people. Real human beings, flourishing human beings, life-giving human beings under the lordship of Jesus are virtuous people. They're good people. They're pleasant people. They're benevolent people. This, this, this is the, the work of God. He's changing the whole world, one person at a time. Compassionate people. They're tender-hearted people. Thank goodness God was tender-hearted towards me. Thank, thank goodness he was tender-hearted towards you. And he saw us while we were still a long way off. And he ran to us and embraced us and welcomed us into his kingdom through Jesus. And forgiving, graciously, freely bestowing. The kind of people that walk around and restoration is our name badge. Restoration is our name badge. Redemption is our name badge. No life is too broken. No, no person is too bound. No demon is too strong for this love of God in Jesus Christ through us. Because as we partner with Jesus in kindness, compassion and forgiving, we set people free to know the love of God for themselves. Now Paul, in conclusion, says there was two things that were in play as to why the Ephesians were known as um, given over to their own sensuality and to their own futility. Their thought life, they lifted up as being God, as the ultimate authority for their own life, and their hearts were hard to God. And Paul's saying, with the help of the Holy Spirit, our thought life now becomes alive to Jesus and our hearts become soft to God and to people. This is a work of God. And more than ever, <laughs> our nation needs the Jesus people to walk like this. There's a whole bunch of calling for change right now in a whole litany of areas, not just in the area of the redefinition of marriage or understanding of human sexuality, but in all of it, this good news gospel of Jesus, this, this biblical um, way of life, it's one that invites all people to transformation. I was, reading, I was reading this great quote the other day just in, in regards to the issue of sexuality and, and um, the biblical ethic. And this guy says, he says, oh, he says, singles. He says, people who are single, they, they hate the biblical ethic because the biblical ethic says, stop sleeping around. And, they, and, and singles go, does that mean I have to stop sleeping around? And the, that's what the biblical invitation is. That's what the life of God's inviting people to, singles to. Stop sleeping around. And if there was a couple of things that N.T. Wright would say that the early church was known for, it was two things. One is they believed in the resurrection, and two, they didn't sleep around. It was made known. These, these church they don't sleep around. Those, they don't sleep around. So this, this guy says, people who are single, you mean I, don't, I can't sleep around anymore? That's the way. That's the invitation of the life of God in this thing. And he says, and gay people? He says, gay people, they go, 
do you mean that the biblical story and standard says that um, I can't have sex outside of heterosexual sex? Yep. That's what the life of God's inviting you into. Another place. And he says, and this, this other guy says, this guy says, oh, and married people. <laughs> he says, married people, they don't like this either. He says, because married people say, you mean I have to swear off sleeping around and I can only sleep with one person for the rest of my life? Yes, that's right. It invo- this thing, this story, this life of God is transforming everyone and everything. No one's exempt. <laughs> no issue is exempt. Our whole life is coming under this goodness of God and it's being transformed. But along the way, the power of the Spirit, where our flesh is going, I'm not sure that I really like that. I would prefer to have it my way. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, there is a life that God's inviting us all into that's way beyond the futility of our own wisdom. Our own wisdom. See, once upon a time, I thought I was in control. But clearly, my anger and my hitting out at people and my inability to say no to my flesh clearly demonstrated I was not in control. <laughs> I was clearly not. But Jesus helped me. And I can do this on my own. I, I can do this on my own without you, God. When my actual experience was one where even in my work environment, I did need help. I did need people around me. I did need wisdom around me. I did need the help of those around me to help me grow and learn, even in my vocation, let alone my discipleship journey with Jesus. When Jesus' love started crashing through the walls of my own self-determination, he set me free to welcome his love, and his love created a space for me to live from humility and no longer my own wisdom. And I'm so, so thankful because now I get to live in righteousness and holiness with a heart that's faithful and loyal to God and pure and righteous before God and a heart that's given to his benevolence and compassion and kindness and forgiveness for others. This is the Jesus way. This big mission and vision of God, this is where it really cuts in to who we are as individuals and how we go about doing life. So I'm going to pray and I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit just to settle a few conversation points that maybe we're having this morning with God as we're listening to this and we're going, yeah, I like that, but I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like what you're saying there. Just Let's just humble ourselves before a good God. If God's so good enough to save us eternally, why wouldn't he be good enough to bring us into life right now? Right now in our everyday life. Let's, let's just pray. Father, I thank you for your incredible love for all people, for all of us. Thank you for your incredible love for everyone in this room, right here, right now. And we just welcome you. Would, you, would your love just confound, confound us <laughs> right now and overwhelm our own you know, wisdom on how to do life? And give us a taste of your kindness, your compassion, and your forgiveness yet again. Come, Holy Spirit. And for those of us who are in this room right now, Lord, you know, it's like, yep, I got, I struggle with anger. Or I struggle to stop stealing things. Or I struggle to 
think well on others. Would you, in your mercy, Lord, would you come and touch our lives and bring us freedom? Bring us freedom. Bring us freedom. And for those of us in the room this morning, Lord, where our, you know, we've, Our flesh wants us to live one way and be given over and has these hungers and passions. I pray that you would, by your spirit, invite all of those passions and hungers and desires that are in our flesh to be fully met in you. Would you come and touch us, Lord? Touch our understanding of our physical health, our self-image, Touch our understanding of our sexuality, all of who we are. Touch our flesh, Lord, with the love of God and the kindness and the compassion and the forgiveness of God. Just let it wash through us right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, it's obviously very much on your heart this morning that everything that binds, constricts and holds down would be just broken off our lives and we'd be set free to be lifted up in you to a resurrection into new life. That wonderful song that we sang. That amazing picture that you shared with us, God, through David of that balloon being lifted up and no longer tethered but set free. Do that for all of us, Jesus, this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.